get started before you think you're ready. Mm -hmm. That's oftentimes can be the hardest part for people is, is just getting started. And you, you have to be ready and willing to accept the fact that things are gonna change. Like it's not gonna work out the way that you plan. Welcome to The Irresistible Factor, the podcast for brands in the health and wellness space who wanna be irresistible, not only to consumers, but to investors and retailers. Here we talk to successful entrepreneurs about the inspiring stories that help them start and grow their awesome brands. And we also talk to investors, leaders in private equity, and retail buyers about what makes brands irresistible to them. So I'm super excited today because I'm here with Chris Kirby, who is the founder of Ithaca Hummus, one of my personal favorite life-changing brands. Um, And Chris is now an entrepreneur, but started out as a professional chef. And I'm going to just let him talk a little bit about what inspired him to start this brand and how it's going up until now. Awesome. Thanks, Christy. I appreciate that. Um, Always good to hear that something that I've, you know, poured my life into and the team, the greater team at Ithaca Hummus is life-changing for someone. So no greater compliment. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So um, yeah, I'll I'll just give you the brief rundown of um, went to culinary school out of high school and I was a chef for seven years and love food, have always loved food from a very early age. So cooking and cooking professionally, working in restaurants felt very natural for me. Um, And I had a great time uh, during that part of my life, but got to a just crossroads where the lifestyle of being a restaurant chef uh, was fun and exhilarating in a lot of ways, but I wanted something more sustainable for for me and my lifestyle and some of the goals that I had in life. And uh, so decided to leave the restaurant business and uh, went back to school. And while I was in school uh, up in Ithaca, New York, I opened a farmer's market stand selling hummus. And um, here we are, here we are today, still, still going strong. So when you went back to school, what were you thinking you were going to do? Was that something that was a goal for you starting a brand or is that what you went back for or was it something else? Yeah, I have always had a very entrepreneurial spirit mindset and knew that I I would never be happy until I could control my destiny, but wanted to set myself up to be successful in that. And after seven years as a chef, I I felt like the work ethic is certainly there, but I need more business knowledge, Mm -hmm. like hard skills in accounting and, you know, organizational behavior and things like that. So I felt like I needed to do that to, to, to give myself the best chance for success. Awesome. Um, and did what you learned wind up getting applied? I assume yes, because you've been running your business. How long have you, when did you found Ithaca Hummus? In 2013, which is the year I started back at, at school. And so absolutely starting a company while you're in school full-time is great because you can apply everything that you're learning in real time, which is what I did. And so it was incredibly helpful. Oh, okay. So 2013, so that's seven-ish years ago. Um, so tell me how you started and, and what kind of challenges you faced at the beginning. I started, like I mentioned at the farmer's market, but even before that, I was looking on grocery store shelves for a category, which I didn't even know at the time that they were called categories, but, um, for a category 
that needed the most help from a chef like me, from somebody who really cared about food and ingredients. Like, where is the biggest opportunity? Not necessarily from a, um, you know, sales perspective or like, you know, economic perspective at all. But where's the biggest opportunity for someone like me to come in and do it differently and and really uh, shine? Uh, you know, hummus is just is really stuck out to me as like, God, the stuff that I can buy in grocery stores is just not a good representation of how good this can actually be. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, it started uh, started at the farmer's market. And at the same time, I was knocking on doors of co-ops and natural food stores and coffee shops and anywhere in the Ithaca area, upstate New York area, that would sit down with me and try my product. And um, over the course of the first three months in business, uh, I built a, you know, a book of business, maybe maybe 20 retailers that I would go in the morning and drop off product and um, handwrite invoices for sometimes just one container of hummus, but you know, whatever at that time, it was just about getting it out there. That's pretty cool. But I mean, even if it was small, that's pretty amazing that you got that to happen. Cause that's really hard. I mean, I think that's one of the biggest challenges for, for most people in CPG is getting people to try what they're selling and, and ultimately put it in their stores. So, um, I mean, that's a pretty big testament to the fact that you had something really good. Definitely. I had a lot of confidence in the quality of the product, which mm-hmm. gave me the you know willpower and strength to just get out there. And even if I got a, a, a full day of, of no for an answer, like get up and do it again the next day. And um, um, there was also something magical about walking into a store and seeing that someone had bought one, you know, mm-hmm. like I was here yesterday and there was six and now there's five like someone bought this (laughs) incredibly powerful for an entrepreneur starting out because you know as well as anyone i mean the challenges that you go through are just you know how long do you have i mean we can talk about that but you know absolutely um you know it's really cool that you say that because i think my feeling as an entrepreneur in a different way is that and you must have felt the same way. I sold one, which means I have evidence that I could sell it again, right? You just need to do it one time. You don't need to sell a hundred thousand containers of something, or you know, in my case, a ten or thirty studies. You need to sell one, and then you know that it's possible. And to me, that's like a really cool thing. So seeing your stuff move off shelves was real evidence. Um, what do you think makes it different? What makes Ethica Hummus different than the other ones that were out there before you and that you've seen since? When I tasted the category before I started, what was missing to me was that fresh, like really vibrant, powerful flavor that yeah. you find when you go to a Lebanese restaurant or an Israeli restaurant and you have hummus there that's freshly prepared. Yeah. So that was really what I w- was focused on recreating for retail customers. Yep. Yeah. And, you know, what makes that possible in our product is the ingredients, fresh squeezed lemon juice. We still squeeze the lemons literally at, at our plant. And um, now we use a high pressure processing step, which is a cold process that helps gives it, gives it the shelf life that it needs to be distributed nationally. 
Well, that's cool. You know, uh, someone, I'm a real hummus person. So someone, a really good friend of mine said, have you ever heard of Ithaca hummus? And I was like, no, never heard of it. And he said, it's the, the, it's crap. You have to get it. And I was like, okay, fine. I know all the hummuses. There's no way. And then I started buying it. And my daughter was like, what is that? Like it literally, when I said life-changing, I meant it because then we started going to stores specifically to see if they had it. And, you know, a lot of times I'm sure, you know, it's out of stock um, often. So that was really exciting to find something like that. So I think what you're saying is actually, I mean, true for me, like the freshness and the flavor is different. It's definitely different. I'm just curious. I was just curious about what you thought specifically. Tell me about the challenges that you faced along the way. Yeah. Initially, most of the challenges that I had were around shelf life. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we had a seven day shelf life at the start, you know, so how do you manage that? You know, I, I walked into my very first retail account, Green Star Co-ops, sat down with the manager. We tasted it. And he was like, yeah, it's, it's great stuff. But how do I order this? Like, I, I have two main distributors that I call for everything in this store. Am I supposed to just call you for like this one thing? And with a seven day shelf life, like it just doesn't give you very much time to manufacture something, get it on a shelf, bought and in someone's refrigerator and consumed. So I had to figure that out from the start. How am I going to manage the quote unquote supply chain? And that's what I said earlier with handwritten invoices selling one at a time. Like I, I physically had to manage the shelf for people. At, yeah. at the beginning, like they weren't ordering anything. I was just coming in and bringing what they needed. And that meant being there four or five days a week, which, yeah. you know, was, was, was tough, but you know, that's, that's, you have to come up with quick solutions like that in the beginning, just to get it off the, you know, off the edge, you know, and, and rolling. And now talk about where you're at from a brand perspective, from a distribution perspective, like, where's your, I mean, it sounds like you're national. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Um, we grew slowly for four or five years, like very just concentric circles around Ithaca, where it was being produced. And people will refer to that as the, you know, inch wide, mile deep strategy mm-hmm. for growing a brand and distribution, which yep. is smart. And, you know, I didn't do that because I was smart and like figured that I knew that was the best. I did it because the shelf life wouldn't allow me to like, I guarantee you if Walmart would have called in the first year, I was just looking for anything that was going to bring revenue. I probably would have said yes, but thank God that didn't happen. I love Walmart. I mean, I, not, not that there's anything wrong, but you're, they're just, you're, you're ready for things at certain life cycle, life stages and your life cycle as a brand. And, and sometimes you're not. And, and um, so uh, yeah, slowly grew from Ithaca out and out and out. And, so when you look at our distribution today, it's about 7,000 stores, highly concentrated in the Northeast. Um, and then obviously the East Coast, we're now with Publix and even, you know, Food Lion and, uh, and starting to, to pick up some steam everywhere else in the country, but um, really focused on our home market and grew outwardly from there. What would you say maybe there's more than one of just the, the moment when you knew you were really onto something bigger than this is going to be a local brand? Um, there have been a few. I mean, being at the farmer's market starting and looking, watching people's reaction to tasting the product, like that was the first 
thing that was like, wow, like people love this. I, and, and if I could just make this bigger and commercialize this, like I might really have something here. And then I would say, you know, there were, there were stages of like, I started out in a summer camp kitchen that I was renting tiny little place and then moved from there to a factory that I uh, leased and bought all the equipment. It was just an empty factory that bought everything for. And, you know, walking in there for the first time was like, wow, like, look at this. It's 10,000 square feet and floor drains that, and, you know, weird things that you would never think of the normal, yeah. per, normal person wouldn't, but you see things like that and it feels real. And then the next stage for manufacturing was ultimately ended up partnering with a great company in Rochester, Ledestri Foods, who had an HPP machine and could take our shelf life from 40 to a hundred days without changing the formula or the ingredients. And I would say in recent history, like that was probably the big one when we started working with a really strong manufacturing partner. Mm -hmm. And then, I mean, ultimately a year later, they ended up becoming a part of our, of our brand with making an investment. And so that was combination. I think, I think the Ledestri relationship is, is really was a big turning point for us. Were you self-funded all along? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we took just kind of like scraps and pieces of what we needed along the way from anybody who would give to uh, yeah. you know, friends and family, you know, yep. and a lot of times that was like, oh, we need like 10 grand to pay everybody and rent. And you know, so it was not like I, people, people look at food businesses too much, like tech companies way too often. Like mm -hmm. it's, it's not like a lot of times it's not like this grand plan of like funding here, funding here and a timeline. It's just scrappy yeah. white knuckling it until you can make the breakthrough. Yeah. That's how it was for us. And now you have sort of, I mean, you've made the breakthrough, um, but you still have a small team. You, you mentioned that, right? Yeah. Eight people. Eight wow. uh, fast and furious, small yeah. and hungry. Yeah. How do you go about getting distribution and breaking into retail? Um, our our sales, you know, the way that we sell is all evidence and data based, like mm -hmm. success story, and it's something that I learned from growing the way that we did, so small and slow. Like you take one success and you post it as a case study for mm -hmm. the next person that you want to go sell to and partner with. Um, still how we do it for sure. I think we've gotten more sophisticated in that and, and understanding that we actually play a very important role in our category. Um, but it's all evidence-based and, you know, case study, uh, looking at other retailers and going to someone and saying, Hey, we can, we can replicate this here. What's your, um, what's next for you guys? Like what, where would you like to be Two years from now, five years from now, do you want to stay in Hummus? Do you want to expand? Um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you last time. Our mission is to introduce America to its new favorite brand of hummus. And you know, that's a big mission. Um, first of all, I mean, introduce America. You know, I think the last time we did a quick Google survey, our awareness is at three and a half percent. So we got a long way to go on part yep. one. Um, and certainly, you know, part two, very focused on the hummus category. Yep. Yep. And how do you guys decide on new stuff? Like, how do you decide when it's time for a new flavor? Um, is it just based on 
a trend or is it based on something that you like? Or I know you have something now and I'm not sure if you're going to keep it or not, but it's the Buffalo, Buffalo, is it called Buffalo? Buffalo yeah. Ranch, yep. Buffalo yep. Ranch, yeah. Um, I mean, a new, a new flavor skew is, is very costly. Like and I say that to everyone that's, that's listening to this, like it sounds like something that you can just churn out every day and it's not a big deal, but you know, if you don't get it right, like to do well, it costs a lot of money to produce new flavors, even new yeah. sizes. Um, so for me, it's gotta be something that really plays into multiple goals that we have as a company awareness, you know, uh, is this, uh, is this a real consumer need? Um, is this something that is, is going to be trendy and buzzworthy? Is it new to the category? Is it incremental? You know? Um, so I, I feel like up until this point, it's been like when an idea like that comes along, we know it and we go for it. Mm -hmm. Um, moving forward, I think we're, we're, we're trying to be a little bit more calculated about our innovation and planning that out because it, what we do in the future, um, some of the things we're planning are just a little bit more complex than, you know, a, a couple new ingredients in the formula. Yeah. I think it's, I mean, I just want to say before we move on to something else, it's amazing that you're doing it that way because the mistake I, I have seen so many brands make is over innovating and complicating the line and trying so hard to do so much when they haven't really established themselves. And then you basically are killing yourself because you're running out of money and you're doing things that don't make sense and you're confusing consumers and, confusing retailers. And so I think that's really great that you're doing it that way and smart. It makes a lot of sense. You know what to look for, you know what you're going to get. Um, a lot of times I'll say too, um, emerging brands, I think, feel like if they're not getting the yes on their current line, yes. they've got to do something new. Right. Which isn't, isn't true. I mean, sometimes it's not. I mean, sometimes yeah. you might just need to like retweak a formula or you might just need to do a better job of selling in yeah. the case for why you deserve to be there. And I'll also say a lot of times it's better to have multiple facings of your best selling skew than like this long tail of a bunch of flavors that pull your velocity average down. Like you don't want that. Right. You want right. your best stuff out there and in stock to your point earlier. Yeah, definitely. Um, what about marketing? Has that played a role for you yet in a big way or not so much? Not, not so much. I mean, we've really put it all into the product. You know, mm -hmm. it, it's a very expensive product to produce in a category that has been traded down and down and down with a lot of over-promoting and private label coming in strong. And so it's been difficult for us to maintain and conform to the margin profiles that retailers and, and brokers and not, not bro, sorry, uh, distributors are used yeah. to in yeah. the category. So there isn't a whole lot left over at the end, but it served us well because we have a product that's worth talking about, yes. which drives word of mouth, which in yeah. the end is the best kind of marketing that you could possibly, um, that you could ask for. So yeah, long answer to a no, it's a good Question, answer. I mean, and I 100% agree with you. If you've got something that's worth talking about, there's nothing better than that. Nothing yeah. better. Any advice you'd give to brands that are just starting or entrepreneurs that are not sure if they want to make the leap? Get started before you think you're ready. Mm -hmm. I think 
that's oftentimes can be the hardest part for people is, is just getting started and not like continuing to ruminate over a plan or how is this going to work or how is that going to work? Like you got to be used, you, you have to be ready and willing to accept the fact that things are going to change. Like it's not going to work out the way that you plan. It just isn't like hundred percent guarantee that. So launching, starting and being ready to, um, ready to change and, and, and optimize over time is, is, is what you need to do if, if you want to break into, you know, doing your own thing. What's i I'm, I'm curious, just because you've said some of the, use some of the language that I also use, what, what keeps you going or gets you like, you know, you get, there, there are times when things don't go your way. And I'm sure, um, that you get down once in a while, everyone does. What do you do? Like, what do you tell yourself or what do you use to get yourself like, okay, I, so what? Um, I'm lucky now I, this wasn't always the case, but now like I, if I need to like step back for a minute, like I do that, you know, Mm -hmm. trying to take care of myself and like self, you know, personal health is, more of a thing for me now than it ever was. It used to be just like throw my body and mind at this all the time, 24 seven. Yeah. Um, still is, but you know, trying getting better at that. But, um, I feel like I can come up with a maybe better answer for you on that. What, what, what do I do when I'm feeling down? Like reminding myself what kind of impact we could have Mm -hmm. on the, diet of Americans. Like that, that's what I love about food and cooking in the first place. Like I love to be, to, to influence people through food and the way that they look at different ingredients. I don't like beets. Well, that's, that's a challenge to me. Yeah. Yeah. I want to drive that. I want to show people that they can like this weird thing called hump, this weird dip that half of Americans don't even know or think weird. It's a, it's a great, it's a great food. It is a great, you know, product to incorporate into your diet. And the more and more we do, and, you know, as the days, you know, kind of roll on, what I like to think about is that you know, more people are eating hummus and incorporating more of this into their diet. And that's a great thing to, yeah. to be able to, to center, to center myself on. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's a, it's a much healthier way to dip than all the things that came before it. So I think it's cool. And I think it's amazing that it's starting to get so mainstream. And um, I love that you, I mean, it feels to me because of where I am, that it's a much bigger brand than it is. When you said three and a half percent awareness, I was like, wow, because everyone I know now knows about it. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's basically for the reason that you said, we're all talking about it all the time. Have you tried Ithaca? What flavors? And so that's cool, but it feels big to me um, because I'm here in the, in the, on the East coast and probably right in the middle of your market. So that's cool. Um, okay. Anything else that you feel like you want to share or. It's always felt it's, it's odd. And I'll just share this, but, but not, not really a direct answer to anything, but I have always felt like we're like on the brink of like explosion. I felt that way since pretty much I can remember starting the company and, um, 
I don't know. I, I don't know that the explosion has ever like come. I don't know that that actually happens to mm-hmm. brands. Like, I don't think that there's like a thing that happens or you wake up one day and all of a sudden it's huge or whatever. I don't think that's how it works. You know, I think people have that misconception. Yeah. And in reality, like it's years and years and years of just slowly, incrementally, brick by brick building something that is not going to blow over, you know, when, yes. when the storm rolls in, you know, yep. Yep. Um, that's the way I've done it. That's up to this point, you know, done what I've done now. Um, and that's how I would recommend to anyone to do it. You know, it's slow and steady wins the race. Don't pay attention to the headlines. Don't compare yourself to a tech company. Yeah. Don't go out and raise a ton of money before you're ready to be responsible with it and know what yep. you're going to do. You know, that's really good advice. I think that's great advice. It's funny because I do think you wait for the thing and maybe the thing doesn't happen. Maybe it's a series of things that happen. And then maybe the real measure of success is when you're not, when you do get to breathe and you're not worried every day, right? Like all of a sudden you're like, oh, I have a sustainable business. That's cool. Look, it's a hard way to live. You know, if you're always waiting for something to happen. Like that's not where life is lived. You know, you live life in the moment, not in the future. And it took me a long time to realize that. And um, I've been much happier ever since. Well, that is a profound way to end. Um, I love it. Thank you so much. This has been so awesome.